I uh, reiterate one of the things that Jeff mentioned just again, the uh, Beaver Camp service that will be in August and doing baptisms there. I can't encourage you enough if you've never been baptized, not just never been baptized, but never been baptized since you've confessed Christ as your Lord and Savior. Um, I would encourage you to give that strong consideration um, to look at that. It's one of the things that Jesus talked about, which was coming to him and then going through the ritual of baptism as a sign declaring your faithfulness to him. So if you've never done that before, I would encourage you to consider it. Um, you can see me. You could even mention something to Jeff, but between that, we would talk through that and get that all ready for uh, that time at camp. It's usually a special time in that sense. Um, the other thing that I want to say before I get into the message this morning is there were a couple of rainouts uh, in recent weeks with the baseball, and so I thought we were done last week, but we're not. We have one Wednesday night, which is taken care of, but there's another game Thursday evening out on the field that does not have a person to cover the devotional on it, so I'd be looking for somebody to volunteer for that. So if you are interested, please let me know as soon as possible so we can get that covered, okay? The other thing is... Um, <laughs> Modern technology sometimes can be a real pain in the butt. It can be um, a distraction and wonderful other things, but other times it can be really neat. Um, I want to say uh, good morning to, there's, a, there's some of our people from our midst that are gathered around screens at local campgrounds this weekend that I know are tuning in to the Father's Day message this morning. So welcome to the service this morning out there at the campgrounds and that stuff there. And, um, and that's kind of a cool thing that can happen that way. Um, we're going to take a look at uh, manhood this morning. Uh, you can see the title at a high calling to lay down your life. Um, gals, you can listen in. Um, the, pre, the, the companion to this message was given on Mother's Day. And so if you were a woman and were not here and did not catch that, the nice thing again, technology in, you can go back to our church website and it will lead you to the archives of whether it be the videos or the podcasting of that. And you can find that service. Go back to Mother's Day, the date, and you will find um, that, that, that message that's there. Um, I want to say this, that male or manhood, whatever you want to call it, masculinity, is a high calling. Our culture devalues maleness. And that is growing. And I'll say this one more time again, that... If you want the full balance to this message, you've got to listen to the Mother's Day message because that was all given back then about I spoke directly to the, to the gals, to the ladies. Today we're talking to the men. But our culture devalues maleness and it's only growing in intensity. Um, as men were made in God's image. No, let me read this to you. In Genesis 5, 1 and 2, made, ma made in God's image. When God created mankind... He made them in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them. And he named them mankind when they were created. So guys, I want to tell you this morning that you were made in the image of God. There are certain things about your masculinity and being a man that are direct representations of God himself. There's not a mistake it's not a mistake and it's not a coincidence and it's not a weird thing that as guys, the certain things that stereotypically we're drawn to. Guys tend to like action movies more than gals do. Um, we have this fixation, even from when we're little people, on heroes. Guys that are big and strong and do great things and rescue and, and fight and all that stuff there. You, you, you can't take that out of a man because that's actually... One of the things that we're made in, in, in God's image in. You're made to be fierce. You're made to be a warrior. You're made to be a protector. You're made to be a conqueror. And you're made to be a leader. Our culture is rejecting the truth that I just shared with you. That's a fact that, not that the culture is rejecting it, which it is, but that we were made specifically that way. I'm, this is going to be terribly, there's going to be times today where it's terribly politically incorrect, and I don't apologize for that because the Scripture is clear and God says these things. As much as there's been these statements all, and I've said this before over the pulpit, that men and women can do the same things. Certain things, yes, certain things, no. They're not on equal footing. 
and it's not equal rights, it's nothing like that. Men, in their masculinity, are able to do things that women just can't do. You say, well, that's, that's chauvinistic. I always was, I remember as a kid, as a, as a grade school kid back in the 70s, when Billie Jean King, which was the best female tennis player in the world, and they had the battle of the sexes, and so they picked Jimmy Connors, who, ready, had been a really good tennis player. And they had a head-to-head tennis match. And I believe Billie Jean King may have beat him. But they didn't pick the best male tennis player at the time. They picked the best female tennis player at the time and pired him up to somebody who basically had gone into retirement already. It, it just, we are physically built differently. And our culture even wants to push the boundaries on that. Actually, the fact that our culture is rejecting this, it's an actual overt act of the enemy of God himself, the devil. The devil is trying as hard as he can to remove anything, anything in culture that would point to God. That would reveal to human beings who God is and what he's about. He's attempting to destroy all that is dear to the heart of God. And he knows that if he can destroy what we're talking about this morning, if he can destroy maleness or authentic masculinity, he can destroy children, he can destroy marriages, and he can destroy our culture. Guys, we can't allow ourselves to become ashamed of our masculinity because the world needs it, our families need it, the church needs it, and everybody around us needs it. I want to say this. Masculinity or being male is not a choice. It's a call. It's a call. It was appointed at conception, that call. And God has a plan, a distinct plan for that maleness or masculinity. I want to move to another uh, way of thinking or another uh, a series of thoughts here that looking as men to Jesus as our example. In Ephesians 5.25, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, I realize that this specific verse right here is written specifically to husbands. But, guys, I want to let you know that there's, there's in that is uh, a message for all men as well. That if you're looking for what you should do as a man or what your masculinity should look like, you have to look no further than Jesus Christ himself and how he did things. Okay? Uh, a further verse along those lines is in Hebrews chapter 12, and this is general across the board for people, but we'll look at it from a male perspective this morning. Hebrews 12, 2 and 3, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This is telling us that as guys, we're supposed to fix our eyes on Jesus. He's supposed to be our model. We're supposed to look to him to find out what you should be and how you should live. I'm going to tell you right now, if you're looking to what to be as a man, you can't, you can't get a better example than Jesus. I will say this too, as in the church has actually, in, it's so hard because God himself actually has, and like you said, you have to go and listen to the message that was given on Mother's Day to get the idea that because he made male and female. So females exhibit certain aspects of God that men don't, and men exhibit certain aspects of God that females don't. Um, but you can't get a better example than Jesus. In our looking at Jesus, and this is probably partly cultural too, because our culture has devalued masculinity and it's tearing it down. It has, it is, it, it'll, it, as a church, if we're not careful, in church I'm saying the broad, the body of Christ, we tend to focus more on the the parts of, of Jesus that exhibit, that are exhibited in females, if you will. Jesus was a fierce warrior. 
You say, wait a minute. He didn't wield the sword. He didn't do anything. Guys, you know as well as I do right now that in action-packed movies, there's a hero usually. And the one thing that makes that hero the greatest, the ones, at least the ones that I've been drawn to ever since a boy, the more than anything else, and even as an adult, really ring with me, it's not the guy that's, that's obnoxious and awful and terrible or mean and nasty, but it's the guy that uses force at the right moment in the right way in the right time, but at other times while everything around him, and you just know, you just know that he has the power to do whatever he needs to do to just take things and just put a person in their place, but he stands there silently. Jesus Christ, while he was on trial, the Bible says, and it pre- predicted that, that he would remain silent before his, before the, before his accusers. Before those that were going to slaughter him, he remained silent and inactive. But yet, he, he, he actually said, do you realize that I could call legions of angels that would immediately come and take me off this cross? But he didn't. Why? He had that kind of power. He had that kind of power when he walked the face of the earth. And when you really look at it, he was tremendously compassionate and loving and understanding, realistically of all people, but, but it really shows true when he, when he encounters a sinner, a person who's caught in their sin, who's being judged or whatever else, and he just tends to have this way of, of building them up at the same time bringing conviction that they need to change. And if you really look at it, if you want to see the forceful part of Jesus, you find it when he took the Pharisees and the religious leaders to task. So lest you think that he never rose his voice, that he never really became active and put people in their place, focus your attention on some of the stories where he has these bouts with the religious leaders, and then he does some really nasty things to them, where they're questioning and they're challenging and they're doing these things, and then he stands up and boldly declares in front of this huge crowd, don't do what they do. Or do what they do, but don't do what they you know, do what they say, but don't do what they do. He's very direct. And actually, they got just like in those movies, just like in those movies where the hero holds his tongue and holds his tongue and holds his tongue and holds his tongue, and then finally, whether it's physically or by speaking, puts everybody in their place, the antagonist or the evil person over there or the, the arch enemy is just seethingly angry and it's get looking what? How in the world can I take that guy out? And that's exactly what happened with the Pharisees and the religious leaders. How can we get rid of him? He's making us look bad. He's taking away our power. If we're not careful, he's going to make it so that we lose the ability to rule ourselves under Roman rule. So Jesus, this wonderful example, he's to be our model. He's the best example. Now look what it says here. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. Now what was the cross? We have a a very tidied up rendition of it over there. The cross was a device to kill. The cross was a device to kill. The cross and, and crucifixion caused tremendous pain physically, torment, suffering, and torture. It was designed that way. Some twisted person wanted to find, the, at the, probably at the time, the most, one of the most cruel ways you could put somebody on display and kill them. And they cooked up the idea of the cross. They often say that crucifixion regularly included scourging, which is the beating beforehand. And then you put on public display with nails through your hands and nails through your feet to hang there until you die. And if you don't die quick enough, they'll break your legs so you suffocate to death. But that's not the only thing about the cross. Not just a device to kill, but it was a device that brought shame. Suffering. Shame. Rejection. Humiliation. Most historical examples say that people were crucified stark naked sprawl out for all the world to see and it was crucifixion was saved for the worst of criminals so being sprawled out for all to see not only physically shamed you but shamed you and humiliated you culturally 
and with people because the only people that got crucified is if they had done something really, really bad. And Jesus endured all of that stuff. He chose, get this, He chose to remain under it, to persevere through it, to suffer in it, and to carry it as a load. He made that choice. He had the power to come off the cross. He could have called God and, and, and halted all that. The angels would have come and put everybody in their place, but He chose to endure it. He chose to carry the miseries, the adversity, the persecution, and all the provocations that went with it. As he sat there, the, the, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who will come back with the armies of heaven and set all things right, he had just as much power then as he will when he comes. He just had just as much power then as if he will when he comes again. But yet he willingly sat there as the religious leaders who thought they had finally got him walked by and heaped insults at him saying, you said you could do all this stuff. Come off the cross now and prove to us who you really are. But he chose to endure all that. To listen to that. To let it happen. And he did it with great faith that showed through. It wasn't because he was a wimp. It wasn't because he couldn't. It wasn't because he wasn't strong enough. It wasn't because he was afraid. It wasn't any of that. It was an honest, forthright choice that he made to go all the way through with that. It says that he endured it for the joy set before him. And that should immediately, guys, it should immediately take us like, wait just a minute. How could you choose to endure something like crucifixion with it, knowing the physical pain and suffering that comes and also the public humiliation on all fronts that are going to happen and you do it because of the joy set before you. How can that be? How can you have joy in the midst of all the suffering and the humiliation? It wasn't, it wasn't the joy of actually hurting in the joy of being ridiculed and maligned and mistreated. It wasn't that. The joy that was set before Jesus that caused him to endure it with joy was the purpose of the cross, the reason, the mission, the goal. Jesus knew, and you get this is alluded to throughout his life, it's talked about in the Old Testament, and then he even alludes to it, when, he even talks about it when he's talking to his father in Gethsemane. He, he, he's, he's fully, as a human being now, he's fully aware of what's coming. He knows that he's going to be arrested. He knows what crucifixion is. He knows what that's, you know, it wasn't a secret. That was, that was culturally, it was there. He knew all that stuff was coming. He knew what he was going to bear. But he also knew the reason he was going to go through it. His comment, Father, if there's any other way, any other way for what? Is there any other way for us to restore mankind to right relationship with us? Is there any other way? And he already knows the answer because he was with God in heaven before he even came knowing what the plan of salvation was. And he says, but remember what he says, but Lord, not my will, yours be done. He knew that the cross was going to save mankind from their sin. It was going to give victory over death. That it would finally fulfill the God-given mission and call for Jesus' life, and it would finally restore mankind, make it possible for mankind to walk in real relationship with God again. He saw the cross as something that was exceptionally good, and tremendously satisfying because of what it would accomplish, not because of what he would endure. His human part was revolting at what was going to happen. There's probably fear. There's probably anxiety. Great apprehension. But then the God part of him spoke loud and clear that this is necessary and he would get glimpses of what it was going to do. And it says that he chose to willingly endure it for that joy of knowing that he and his father would have true fellowship with humans as a result of it. 
The Bible also tells us to consider Him who endured all of this. Guys, we are challenged by God Himself to ponder and give serious consideration to the fact that Jesus, all-powerful, mighty warrior, able to do so much, but willingly chose to let people do that to Him. We're called to ponder it, to think on it. God is also telling us, guys, not just randomly thinking about it, there's great value in seeking what you can glean from that example. What is there in that that I can learn? What is there in that that speaks to me about how I'm supposed to walk that out? There are lessons and encouragement as you look at the life of Jesus, His death, His resurrection, His teaching, how He treated people. There's great lessons if you'll give yourself to thinking about that, spending time meditating on it. Scripture also tells us that there's danger that we will grow weary and lose heart in our call as men. I'll tell you this, being a godly man, being a godly man is wearisome, it's fatiguing, exhausting, both physically and mentally. It is so much so that in our flesh it can cause us the Scriptures use the word it can cause us to faint. Don't grow faint. Don't faint as you do these things. It's, there's something about being a godly man, walking out godly, authentic, God-given masculinity in His image is something that can actually bring us in our humanity to faint. What does that mean? I want you to get the picture of fainting right now. If I were to faint in front of you right now, what would happen? I would fall down, bang, because all of a sudden my consciousness would go, my muscles would quit, and I would fall in a heap, and if I'm standing here, I'd be lucky, I might bang my head there, I might fall backward, I might fall right off the platform. And you would all go, oh my goodness, and rush forward because I'm in a helpless state. And that's the, that's the, that's the, the picture that God is, is warning us of as godly men walking that out. There's a danger in the midst of that, in your humanity in that, to faint, which means all of a sudden, all of a sudden, <clears throat> we would temporarily lose spiritual consciousness in the vital place in our inner man. It's not talking about physically fainting now. It's talking about the inner man portion of you that is trying diligently to walk out what God has called you to do, but in the midst of that, because of the fatigue and the weariness and, and the suffering and the stuff that you go through as a man, as you're trying to walk those things out, which we're going to talk about a bit more and develop in a second here, there's a, there's a danger that you would, have te- you would temporarily check out on the inside for your own protection, if you will. There's a danger that you and I could give up in the key arena of our soul. The sad thing about it is the world looking on from the outside may never even see it. But spiritually speaking, it is definitely clear when you have given up in the vital arena of your soul. This soul, that inner man where we're tempted to give up, is where our desires, our affections, and our passions are. And you are going to be tempted as a man, as you're trying to walk out godly masculinity, you're going to be tempted to stop working hard to protect that arena of your life. Because nobody can see it. And you can cut yourself a break. But the bottom line is, you cut yourself a break and let that go on the inside, you've already begun to lose the battle. Godly men are, you can peel the layers away, and if you could peel the layers away and get down to the very soul of a man, a godly man, you will find more strength there than you would see on the outside. It doesn't go the other way. <clears throat> this whole idea of tempting and pushing to the limit and trying to get us to quit is a ploy of the enemy because he knows this. The arena of a man's soul is what drives his actions. And if he can get us to quit in the area of the soul where nobody sees, he knows that it's just a matter of time until the actions come out 
And at that spot, to be honest with you, he doesn't care about you anymore. He knows that not only will you suffer because your actions follow along, but you know what's going to happen? Your actions are going to do damage to those around you. And history is full, and I'm going to talk about that in a minute, history is full of men who gave up on this, in the soul area and then perpetrated horrible things to the people around them. God, they, our enemy knows that if he can get us to compromise or lose diligence in our souls, that we will fail to be Christ-like. God is calling us to be diligent and intentional in our inner man. God is, is crying out to us today that He needs us to do this. The world needs us to do this. Our families need us to do this. And everybody around us needs to do this. Because as men, just like I spoke to the women back on Mother's Day, as men, authentic masculinity is something that the world needs to see. Godly, authentic masculinity is something the world needs to see because it gives a unique insight into who God is. You and I are called as men to take up our cross and follow Jesus. He says here, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So let's break this apart about. The first thing is, if anyone desires, this desire thing. I'm going to tell you right now, this desire thing is totally on you. I can't do it for you. Your wife can't do it for you. The best teacher in the world can't do you. And you know what? God can't do it for you. You have to have the desire. You have to have the desire to follow after Jesus. God has called you to have a burning desire in your heart to walk after Him. The question is, will you make the choice to give yourself to that following after Jesus and have it burn as an intense desire that is the most important thing in your life? And to constantly be weighing all the things around you that you give your time to, to give your thought to, even good things, where's your desire to follow after Jesus in comparison? Second thing, this is going to require you to deny yourself. Following after Jesus will absolutely require you to deny yourself. Being a Christ-like man, walking out godly masculinity the way God planned you to do as a man, it will lead to a life, this is, this is where, this is so different than what the world would tell us. It will lead you to a life of ready, self-sacrifice and service to others. Just like Jesus. It will lead you and push you to a life of self-sacrifice and a life of service. It will require self-denial. Being a godly man. Authentic godly masculinity walked out. It will cause you most of the time to not get what you want. Most of the time it will cause you to not get what you want. What your flesh wants. It will put you into spots where you're required to forego your own needs and desires. You'll have to forego your own needs and desires because you will find yourself placing the needs and desires of others in front of your own. That's what godly masculinity requires. You will find that you will need to oftentimes, a lot of the time, refuse what you want so that somebody else can get what they want. You will have to refuse what you need, what you think you need, desperately need, so that somebody else can get what they desperately need. What about this taking up your cross? We just got done talking about what the cross was. Let me put it this way. Walking a Christ-like life as a man walking out godly masculinity that he's planned for us as men. It's going to be like carrying your own physical cross that you're going to die to self on. See, you pick up this, this, this cross, it's a burden, you pick it up, 
picking up godly masculinity, committing yourself to walking it out the way God would have you do it, using Jesus as your model, you pick that up and the very thing that you carry, which is a noble thing, is going to force you to die to yourself. Jesus, for part of the journey, took that thing in a terribly beaten down physical state and carried it. The criminals were required to carry the device that they were going to be killed on. You know what is meant? We're required to do the exact same thing. To pick up the very thing that's going to cause us to die to our own self, selfish nature. This idea of walking in godly masculinity comes complete with suffering. It comes complete with rejection, shame, and humiliation at the hands of others. If you walk out godly masculinity in today's world, you'll be maligned, ridiculed, looked down upon, spoken ill of. It will happen. You know why? Because there's going to be times when you're going to stand up for somebody who's not desirable. That everybody around you is not willing to sacrifice for the need of others. And when you stand up and sacrifice and are willing to let something go, people are going to hate you because of that because it makes them look bad. And you know what? Being a godly man, walking out Christ-like masculinity, could even cost you your very physical life. History is wrought with men of God who gave the ultimate sacrifice, and I'm not talking militarily right now, who died because of their faith. Who died because of their faith. Died for the cause of Christ died because they were unwilling to stand up for themselves because the call of God was bigger than their own physical life. God is asking you to pick all this stuff up that I'm talking about this morning, to pick it all up and carry it willingly like Jesus did. To use Him as the example who picked all that up even though you and I are going to have moments just like, we're going to have a lot more of them probably than Jesus did. But Jesus had in the Garden of Gethsemane where he's begging the Father, is there any other way? And after you pick this thing up and start walking after a while and you can see something on the horizon coming and you know it's not going to end well. You just have the experience. You know, spiritually speaking, what God's calling you to do and you know the people around you. It's not going to end well. And you ask God, is there any other way? And then we find ourselves, hopefully, we come to that we stand up and say, but in the end, God, I don't want what I want. I want to follow through with what you've called me to, what you want, so your purposes will be achieved. There's a scripture, and it says, we, why would we pick this stuff up? Because we see the results of doing it will make an eternal difference in those around us, even if it costs us our very life. Even if everybody else threw us aside and no longer counts us as important. But if it, would, if it would just affect one life for the kingdom of God and bring somebody into the kingdom and showed the love of Jesus to somebody, we willingly pick that up and carry that and sacrifice and die to self because it's worth it for what it would do eternally for another person. I want you to see a, a scripture in Romans this morning. It says this, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus is our example. I want to tell you, you are not Jesus, I am not Jesus, and we never will be. We are not going to die on a cross for the forgiveness of the sin of others. Okay, let's get that clear. We're not going to be transformed into Jesus himself and then be crucified on a cross or anything like that. But we do, however, have the same call that Jesus had as he walked on the earth. He showed us how to do it. We do have that call to love and to sacrifice for those around us. It says here, while we were still powerless, men, listen, there are many People around you every day, every day, 
that are powerless. That's a nasty statement. Talking spiritually right here now. There are many people around you that you encounter daily on a regular basis that spiritually are powerless. What does that mean? Spiritually speaking, they're without strength. They've grown weak spiritually. And they need to be led to Jesus so that they can grow in spiritual understanding. They need a spiritual encountering or weakening. And that's the only way you become spiritually strong. A person who is totally clueless spiritually speaking and is not even engaged in those thought processes is spiritually weak and in grave danger. They need a spiritual encounter with a living God to change that. And I want to tell you, guys, God has appointed times for us as men. Those are seasons and opportunities that present favorable occasions for spiritual breakthrough for those around us. You and I can't see those things with our physical eyes. We can't discern them with our brain. We can't feel them with our hands. We can't touch them. We can't hear. We can't, all of our physical senses and all of our human instinct don't see that. God has, there's, there's times and seasons that are favorable for that person who around you is spiritually weak, spiritually dead. There are specific times and seasons and circumstances in their life that God has preordained and prepared where they're ripe for harvest. Not only that, in those moments, God has already sent His very Holy Spirit to start softening the ground and prepare that heart for a spiritual awakening. Those times are appointed by God and you cannot control them. You cannot control them. They are God-ordained on His timetable and when He says they are, and unfortunately that's the idea of being willing to lay down your own needs and your own self in a sacrificing way for the benefit of another. Sometimes those appointments and those times are very poor timing in your life. Like I said, those appointments, those God-ordained appointments are going to require you to lay down your life. To place your own life and well-being in the correct context in the proper perspective of what's going on around you. Jesus gave His life as a ransom for many. Was it convenient for Him? Nope. Did He want it? The God part of Him did. The human part didn't. I shared a few a month or two ago in one of the Along the Way sermons how Jesus, after doing some amazing things, was looked like he, the best we can figure out. He was heading back to where he lived for the three years that he was providing ministry, and he was probably going back to rest and recoup because his humanity was drained, and he was shot after all that he had done. And as he does that, he comes across somebody with great need. And what does he do? He lays aside his own fatigue, his own weariness, his own need for rest and relaxation and recouping to meet the need of the appointed time that God had put right in front of him. And the same thing is required of us. So that we're not so self-centered and self-focused and self-absorbed in our need for whatever we need that we fail to recognize that God-ordained appointment of that person right in front of us who God has been working on and they are ready for a spiritual awakening. It's going to cause us to have to lay aside and even crucify our own desires and our wants in the moment. And even sometimes not just in the moment, but for prolonged periods of time to be used of God for eternal purposes. You read stories of some of the heroes of the faith since Bible times, and you will find that some of them had these flash-in-the-pan moments, but many of the ones that we consider heroes of the faith are people that went through great inconvenience over very long periods of time and achieve fruitful ministry. And it's easy for us to look at the end result and not look at the sacrifice that those guys made. I'm going to tell you this, being an authentic, godly man is going to force you to forego immediate pleasure for, for what is right in a particular moment. You're going to be 
looking square in the face of what, your, what you want and what your desire and your, what would bring you pleasure, and you're going to have to cast that aside for what is right in the moment. And men worldwide are struggling in that very area. Fueled by what the enemy is doing. is dangling things out in front of us that bring immediate pleasure, but don't have lasting rightness in them. Pornography. Power. Money. Possessions. All those things. You think of anything you know of that is men that we run after. They offer real, but not lasting, pleasure in the moment. And being an authentic, godly man requires you to forego that immediate pleasure for what is lastingly right. Let me tell you what following Jesus is, according to what the Bible says in these scriptures. It's a lot more than going to church and reading your Bible and praying. It's way, if that's what your concept of following Jesus is, um, I'm just telling you you've got a very superficial faith. All of those things are great. They're important. But that's not really where it's at fully. It's much more than that. Following Jesus requires us as men to make a willing choice to become an attendant or a service of Je- servant of Jesus. And what that means is we come to Him and we willingly, I often use this language where we, we make Him the Lord of our life. We say, we ask Him to be in control. What does that mean? That means in the end that we make a decision and then we base our life out of this, that He tells us where to go and we go wherever He sends. Even if it's inconvenient. Even if I would rather do something else. Following Jesus is meant to be very distinct in its meaning from occasionally or temporarily following Jesus. There, and I believe it's been true all the way back to the times of Jesus. It goes back to the beginning of mankind that human beings, as you men, have a tendency and women do too, but we're talking to men this morning, men have a tendency, humans have a tendency to temporarily and occasionally show great signs of following God when it's convenient and when it's desirable by my flesh because of what I get out of it. But truly following Jesus requires us to do that all the time. And especially when it's difficult and it costs us something. Anybody can occasionally follow Jesus. But only true servants of Jesus Christ will follow Him and serve Him when it costs them. Costs them financially, costs them relationally, costs them the things that they want in their human nature. But I want to tell you this, following Jesus in that way comes with the satisfaction and joy of an abiding fellowship with Jesus at a level that you can't experience any other way than being totally sold out to Him. And you know what? Nobody can explain it to you. Nobody can give you an example good enough to tell you what it's like. You have to make the choice and walk in that And then you understand at another whole level of the dying to self and being an authentic godly man and laying aside your own needs for the blessings and the benefits of others and all that it costs, you would say, I would do it a hundredfold over. I wish I had done it sooner. I wish I could do it more because it is a fellowship with God, with Jesus that you can't get any other way. Why did Paul say, I rejoice and I long to share in the sufferings of Jesus? Why did he say that? Because he had experienced that being a godly man caused him to have to suffer like Jesus and he began to realize that that's where true power and true fulfillment and true relationship with Jesus was found. Not superficially, not in his speaking, 
but in actually suffering the way that Jesus suffered. Not crucifixion, but malign, all the other things that happened. Because when we live in true fellowship with Jesus all the time, we share in his sufferings, but you know what else we share in? We share in the victories. And we share in that mission. And I'm telling you from my personal experience, there is nothing on the face of this earth that compares. And I, I would even say this, I think. The ecstatic experience where God visits you happened to me on a couple of occasions, not a lot, where there was something profound that happened. Sometimes it's been big things, there's been some smaller ones, but I'm telling you, nothing. Those are wonderful and they're great, but there's something about making a choice to serve Jesus, to put yourself at His beck and call, and then when He has that appointment, and I'm willing to let my stuff go, and I for that moment in time or that period of time am used of God himself to meet the need of that person. There's nothing that compares with that. It brings a fellowship with Jesus like nothing else brings. Sharing in his victories, seeing somebody come to Christ, seeing somebody overcome something big spiritually in their life, seeing a victory, sharing in that mission of Christ, it's powerful. And it provides a fellowship and a purpose that I've not found anywhere else. If you really love, if you really love, you'll pursue this. Scripture says, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for his friends. Men, you say you love your wife. Men, you say you love your kids. You love your family. If you really love him, if you really love them, and that's really true of who you are, then you will pursue this sold-out life to God first and foremost. You will give up your very life to walk out godly masculinity in your life. That's the true test if you really love your family. It's not how well you provide for your kids. It's not how well you provide for your wife. It's not all those things. Because you know what? If You say, well, what, what's going to happen to my family if I don't spend all my time thinking about that? Jesus said what? If you seek first the kingdom of God, all these things will be added unto you. You can't sell out to God as a, and being godly, as a godly man and walk out authentic masculinity. He will see to it that you provide as well. He will take care. You will find yourself still doing a lot of the things you do right now that are benefit and a blessing to your family, but there's much, much more. Don't get stuck in thinking of the concrete things around you. Sell out to Jesus in the inner man. Greater love has no one than this, than he lay down his life for one's friends. And I'm not talking now militarily, although I'm thankful for those that have done that. I'm talking right now, are you willing to lay your very life, your very well-being on the line for spiritual reasons? We have gone through recently, I have, some in the church, some outside the church, the death of three men in the last two or three months, all servants of Jesus. And I'm telling you, there's nothing as a man that you can do that has higher value than walking out what, what God intends as a godly man. Because when you're gone, you know what remains? All the money doesn't remain. Although we say, well, I can make generational wealth. It changed my... That's temporal mindedness. What is going to last eternally is the example of being a godly man from a spiritual perspective and the seeds that you've sown by your words and your actions from a spiritual perspective. Those are things that will carry on into eternity. Already, some of these guys, I think of Norm. Norm mowed lawns. Norm was a businessman. Norm loved Jesus. You know what I remember more and more as days passed? Norm loved Jesus. Norm bore the fruit of the Spirit. Al Richter. Al was a psychologist. Al helped a lot of people. You know what rings in my heart that I'll never forget? His comment that he knew where the answer was and told me that the answer, even for as a psychologist, lies, the answer to people's problem is in Jesus Christ. And Al also saw clearly that there were spiritual forces at work that screwed up people's lives. 
It may have had a fancy word for it, a diagnosis, but in the end, some of those things were spiritual things that were going on. He shared those things in our home group and said, we've got to pray about this. Those are the things I remember. And then my Uncle Bud used to drive me nuts sometimes that he would never, ever take credit for anything. I'm like, just, just stop. Because he would constantly say, oh, you know, if I've done anything good, it's because of God. I'm like, stop apologizing. You, you really are doing a good thing here. But you know what? Humility. Didn't want to take credit for something he didn't deserve because he knew his own heart, knew he wasn't good. Those are the kind of things that people remember after you're gone. That's the legacy that you leave behind, are those spiritual things. When you, your life matches up with what Jesus said, that gives somebody coming after you the wherewithal and the model that it can be done. Will it hurt? Will it cost? Yep, definitely, guaranteed. Being an authentic man the way God called you to be a man is going to cost you a lot. But it's a purpose and a call like no other. Ready? It's what you were built for. Do you realize that a majority of the men that have ever walked planet Earth have never truly walked in what God built them to be? If you and I fail to walk out godly, ministry, godly masculinity, be godly men the way he called us to, to give our life to that, we will totally miss and not recognize what we were actually built for and never experience the joy and the satisfaction of walking in that. That's what God, you want to know what God has called you to do? I could tell you right now that if you purposed in your life today to walk out being a man with Jesus as your example, all things would be taken care of around you. Jesus would see fit that your instruction, the things that he needs you to do in the physical world, he would show you. But it would start. That's why he said, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be... He's saying, seek the big spiritual stuff and the little stuff that we consider big will be taken care of. Doesn't mean that you won't have to do things to work in that, but he'll show you how to do that in a godly way. I'm telling you today, authentic masculinity is desperately needed in the world that we live in. Now, listen very carefully. Some of culture's avoidance, not all of it, but some, and maybe a good deal of it, I can't say how much on a continuum, but some of culture's avoidance and rejection of masculinity is because many people in our world have never seen masculinity or manhood walked out the way God intended it to be. That's why there's this total avoidance of it and a rejection of it. Add to that, we've got an enemy that's stoking that fire. Why? Because people, there's a dearth, darth, whatever that word is, not Darth Vader, the dearth, I think it's D-E-A-R-T-H, uh, a shortage, a desperate shortage. There's a desperate shortage in our world of men who are willing to live self-sacrificing, self-denial in the way that Jesus did before people. There have been serious, serious, horrible shortcomings and abuses by men who have been guilty when it comes to the use of their masculinity. They took the physical part of their masculinity and all the things that God put in them that were supposed to benefit and bless, and they've used it for themselves. And those kinds of men have perpetrated some of the most heinous crimes that have ever occurred on planet Earth. They used their masculinity for selfish gain. You say, I would never do what Hitler did. And I would never do what this guy did or what that guy did or who abused that way or, or used people for their own pleasure. All I'm simply saying is the moment that you and I as men use our masculinity for anything other than godly purposes, we're just as guilty. Jesus Christ never used the power of God, what God had placed in him for selfish gain. It was always used to benefit others and to glorify God. 
just because men have screwed up royally, just because they've done that doesn't mean that masculinity and manhood should be eradicated or rejected. Just the opposite is true. What we really need is the Christ followers to rise up and give their lives to exhibiting masculinity that's truly in the image of God. You're not going to find that on some billboard or on television or out in the culture. It's going to be as you read and meditate on the Word of God, you look at the life of Jesus, you look at God, what Scripture teaches about that, and you use that as your example. What the world needs is for men to live lives that are selfless, to sacrifice, to lead by being servants, to protect the vulnerable, to give sacrificially, to deny themselves so others could be blessed, and to put others first. That's what the world needs. And God's calling me as a man and you as a man and boys, when you grow up to be men, to do that. I want to throw one sidebar in here too. Oh, that we would all be like the men of Issachar. A little passage tucked away in First Chronicles 12. It's talking about the different tribes. It says the men that did this and they were warriors. They did all these things. And then you got this weird statement in the middle of it. It says, and then from Issachar, Men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. My cry this morning is that God would give us as men the ability to perceive and understand what is going on in the world around us and not politically and not socially but spiritually what's going on in the world around us. Spiritually what's going on in our very culture, in our very nation, in our very community. That He would give us the ability and the wisdom to see that to understand it, but not stop there. He'd give us skill to discern and know what needs to be done, spiritually speaking. God's looking for men like that. The question is, will you be one of them? I'm telling you, God is so ready and so desirous to pull out that kind of knowledge, spiritually speaking, of what's going on and what to do about it, He's just looking for men that will get out of all the pet things that we look for answers in or we seek answers in or think are solutions and start looking in the place where they really lie, which is in the truth of God. God is looking for men like that. Will you be one of them? It starts with answering that call to be a godly man. And it continues with a dedication for the rest of your life to walk out that kind of a life as a godly man to lay your life down for others. It requires something way beyond yourself. What the bar that's put out there this morning, the call, whatever I'm saying, is way beyond you. It's way beyond me. But he's given us stuff beyond ourselves. He's given the very Holy Spirit, his very spirit to dwell within you. That power that raised Jesus from the dead, that enabled him to walk that out, flows through your veins. God has given you the strength to stand, to fight, and protect, regardless of how big your biceps are. Regardless of how deep your voice is. Regardless of what you look like. Regardless of how you're perceived. The God of the universe has given you as a man the strength to stand, to fight, and protect because you're made in His image. And it's there. Will you use that power for, for good for Him? He's given you the ability and discipline. It's there to serve and to die to self if you choose to do so. He's given you wisdom and discernment to recognize the appointed times and seasons that go on around you and to know what to do in the midst of those. You're saying... That's not true. I face crisis. I don't know what to do. Sit at the feet of Jesus. He'll show you. He'll show you.
God has given you the boldness, believe it or not, to step out when everyone else around you is frozen in activity and is fleeing in fear and anxiety and whatever else. As a man, he's given you the strength and the ability and the boldness and the power to step out and to lead in the midst of that. He's saying, you don't know me, Pastor. I do too because you know what? I'm not good at that kind of thing. But I do know that in a moment, God can flip a switch. It's the power of God that makes us able to stand up and bring leadership where others are running the opposite direction. Let's spend some time praying. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for, I want to say that, you, you don't make mistakes, God. Thank you in your infinite wisdom that you made male and female in your image and you blessed it and called it good. Lord, I thank you that you saw fit to do so. Help us to see you in that. Lord, I pray for the men this morning. Lord, I pray that we would embrace masculinity, godly masculinity, the way we ought. Lord, I pray that we would take very seriously that part of you that's made in your image. I pray that we would use that part to glorify you, to point people to you, to show the world what you're like. Lord, I pray that we become well acquainted with the example of Jesus Christ and how he acted and what he did as he walked this earth. And Lord, I pray that we would seek to understand and to know what that looks like in our life. Make us warriors. Make us protectors. Make us leaders in the times when you need us to. Help us to yield ourselves to that. Lord, I pray that you would send your spirit. to It already dwells in us, but you would let that spirit speak loudly and help us to hear and to understand as, as this, and the Spirit would lead us into understanding of what you want from us and what you desire from us in the moment. Lord, we pray that as men, godly men, we would become a bright light shining in an evil world. Lord, let us undo in our own little area our sphere of influence. Help us to undo the atrocities and the bad examples that have come at the hands of other men. Help us to show that masculinity, the way God intended it to be, strength that's yielded to God, power that's yielded to God, can truly make a difference and change lives and bring protection that's needed. Lord, help us to do that, to be that. Help us to be man enough to be willing to apologize when we run into people who have been hurt and damaged at the hands of others that exhibited manliness in a wrong way. Lord, help us to live differently and point people to Jesus. Lord, help us all to experience the joy of knowing you, the joy of serving you, and even, Lord, the joy that you put before us that would cause us to suffer and die to self. Help us to willingly embrace that on a full-time basis. And Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and minds and hearts that understand the signs of the times and the days that we live in and what to do, what's needed to be done even in our own community, in our own families, in our own marriages, in our own lives, on the job, what needs to be done there that would bring spiritual breakthrough. Lord, help us to recognize what the world really needs. Is to, is to be led to a place where they can come to know you so they can avoid spiritual death. Lord, help us to use the tools that you've given us to do so. Help us to execute those things wisely and for your glory. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, how do we close? My, my, um, I don't know how to close, okay? So here's the thing. Um, Kyle just said a prayer really over the men, and I want to, I don't need to repeat that. I want the men to receive that. Um, 
And what I want to do is, I guess I want to challenge you got to the guys particularly. That's that's all the males in the room, even if you uh, feel like you're a little boy and you're not for sure if it, we're talking to you or what, okay? Um, if there's something that's been kind of stirring in you and you just need prayer or support or encouragement, I would encourage you to step out and um, receive, ask somebody, okay? Look around if there's someone who, who uh, you know, uh, reach out to them. If you don't know anyone here, I would encourage you to come forward. We had a couple over here who would be willing to pray for you. We had a lady over here, and I'm going to ask the guys to not go to a lady, okay? Um, but look around the room, and there are guys who will um, pray with you and encourage you, and be ready to walk different. Be ready to um, walk out there in the world and continue to do your work, continue to seek God, continue to know um, if you're doing what he's asking you to do and be ready to do something different when he asks you to do something different, okay? And um, that's all I have to say about that. Thank you for your attention.